It was strange to be riding in a vehicle again after so long. What was it now, three years since the end of the world? I could have never imagined I'd miss the feeling of tires on asphalt. I turned the flyer delivered by the US Air Force plane a day ago over and over in my hand. There was so much happening all at once. The Iron Lady, war with the Aztecos, the genocide at Indian Springs, and now the US government making its presence known for the first time since nuclear war began. The flyers promised a speech from the president himself in one more day, broadcast across a multitude of AM frequencies. None of us spoke much on the drive back to Farmbridge. Alexis was still processing the shock of the genocide at Indian Springs, a genocide made possible by Ruslana sharing supplies and intelligence on the settlement with the Iron Lady. Yet another deal struck with the devil, in the name of the greater good. I wondered just how much good was left of any of us after three years of this hell. Well, any of us except Alexis. She was the only one of us that hadn't betrayed her conscience in any way. Annie had killed with me and lied to the others about some of the things I did to the raiders up in Big Bear to get intelligence. Lilith had never been quite the same after she was taken by the same cannibals who killed Annie's brother. In another life, she probably would have been a streamer or something silly like that. And with her bubbly personality, she would have been a hit too. But in this world, she taught herself how to kill, determined to never become a victim again. Despite that, it was hard to suppress that happy personality. Since Indian Springs, she hadn't said a word though. Watson rode in the bed of the truck, so he could keep an eye out on anyone approaching, he said. Truthfully, I think he was having a hard time processing Indian Springs. In typical Watson fashion, he retreated back into his inner fortress of solitude to process his own emotions. If he wanted to share, he'd share. Otherwise, you weren't getting a word out of that man. There wasn't much to say when we arrived home. We gave a report on the assault on Indian Springs, which Rusalana listened to with pursed lips. If she felt remorse, guilt, anything at all, she didn't let on. Her command mask was in place. It unnerved me how much it reminded me of the Iron Lady. The flyers had landed in Farmbridge, too, and in the late afternoon, most of the settlement gathered to hear the President of the United States speak for the first time in nearly three years. My fellow Americans. The President's voice sounded strange to me after all this time. It sounded strained at first, but quickly grew resolute. My fellow survivors, you've not been forgotten. The terrible war that has consumed much of our beloved nation, of our world, is finally at an end. Via one of the few surviving links to the Russian and Chinese leadership, an unconditional peace has been reached. This war has no victors, only losers. Despite this, we must rebuild. We will rebuild. You who survived, from the ruins of Washington to the wastes of California, you are not forgotten. I speak to you now from a secure location where your government has endured. Our armed forces which survived conflict in the Asian and European theaters and other flashpoints abroad have been recalled home. The United States Navy retains the capability to transport many of our survivors home. Others will have to wait and have been instructed to fortify against the chaos of this new world and wait for rescue. For you who survive in the homeland, your government has not abandoned you. From our strong positions in the East, we will once more re-establish civilization. America will rise from the ashes of this catastrophe as it arose from the ashes of our revolutionary conflict which birthed this great nation, from the civil war that nearly tore it apart, and from two world wars that threatened to swallow it up. Soon, recovery assistance as well as reconnaissance and damage assessment teams will begin to reach out to the largest of survivor settlements. I ask that you welcome them and assist them in the task of rebuilding this great nation. The days ahead will be tough, the nights long, but there will be a new dawn and together we will make America whole and strong once more. God bless you wherever you are, and God bless our great nation." Static hissed for a long time before anyone said anything. Wow. Robbie was the first to break the silence. He didn't even say who started the war. Russia, no doubt. 
Ruslana was unusually animated, spitting on the ground twice. Losing in Ukraine, back against the wall, what did anyone expect from them? I shook my head. No way they'd be that suicidal. That pilot we rescued up in Big Bear, the one from the crashed military plane, he said the coasts got hit first. Alexis was talking about Tomlin, the guy I rescued from a crashed Osprey, who'd been in a coma up until he wasn't, and inadvertently outed me as a liar to all of Big Bear, leading to my exile. But he wasn't really sure who hit first. It just went on like that, tit for tat, one city for another. Lilith stamped her foot down. It doesn't matter. The president's all the way in the east somewhere in some fancy bunker. And he thinks, what? We're just gonna all pitch in and rebuild the good old US of A? Ha! Huh, tell that to the iron bitch. Ask her to lay her weapons down, see how that goes. Lilith had a point. The conversation went on all night, the people seeming to settle into two different camps. One was optimistic about the idea of reforming our nation. The other didn't see the point. We were on our own. And even if this great rebuilding took place, it would take years for US forces to get all the way out here and make everything secure. I slowly backed out of the conversation and snuck away while everyone was engaged in debate. It didn't matter much to me either way. The Fuego would take me long before there was any kind of order being re-established again. My only concern was doing the best I could for the people I loved as long as I could, and I wasn't going to let anyone, Iron Lady or the United States of America get in the way. The next few days, Farmbridge was livelier than usual. It was preparing for war, but the president's message had also sparked an ongoing debate and seemed to be all everyone was talking about. Caravans came in daily bringing soldiers and supplies as the new Republic's army prepared for its first deployment. Something uncomfortable gnawed at me though, thoughts I didn't quite want to put into words out of fear of making them true. I sought out the only other person I knew would be having the same gnawing worry I was. Watson had taken upon himself to teach everyone survival skills. Given his years in the mountains, he was a pro at it. He worked with small groups of our senior-most soldiers, honing their skills so they could teach others. Others might not have seen it, but I did. We were at the earliest stages of creating a professional army, and professional armies trumped thugs and raiders any day of the week. I found him taking a break inside a small woodworking workshop the community had built. He was fond of the place, and though logs were pretty rare out in the desert, there was all matter of salvaged wood from the ruins around us that could be reworked into something useful. You feel it too, don't you? Something's not right with this, all of this. Watson grunted as he sanded a rough wooden horse. You like it? It's for Alana. Thought she might like it. Alana was in her late 20s, not a child anymore. You know what? I bet she will like it. I took a seat opposite Watson and let him work in silence for a few moments longer. I always suspected Watson had lost a daughter back in the old world, though the gruff mountain man had never mentioned it, and I knew better to ask. The small toy he was making confirmed my suspicions. Whoever he lost, she'd been young when it happened. Watson cleared his throat before speaking. <clears throat> you and I both spent months with the Iron Lady, in her territory, with her people. Seems awful strange she's losing ground so rapidly, don't it? Aztecos are pretty fearsome. We've both seen them in battle, and there's a whole horde of them attacking out of Arizona. And yet, the Iron Lady's got vehicles, heavy weapons, old military hardware. Not the best stuff, but enough. And she's losing this much territory this quickly? I knew what he was getting at because it'd been eating inside of me too. A small, gnawing doubt growing into a black hole in the pit of my stomach. We can't just tell Ruslana to not send troops, she'll collapse, for sure, and feed the beast. By this time next year, we'll be facing an Azteco horde twice as big and by ourselves. Watson nodded in agreement. No, we can't. But we can keep our eyes and ears open while we march east. If our shared suspicion is true, we'll need a plan. From what I've seen, the Army of the Dawn's like a rabid raccoon. Its sick, infected brain tells the body where to go, what to lash out at. Put a bullet in its head, though, and it'll drop right dead. Now it was my turn to nod in agreement. It won't just be her. 
There's a few others she trusts, but only a few that are truly close to her. They'll need to go too. Then we'd better strike fast and accurately. You've been saying we a lot, old man. Does this mean you're going east too? Watson stopped, turning the wooden toy over and over in his hands. It's the best way to keep Claire and Alana safe, even if it gets ugly. Watson went back to his standing. After a minute, I stood up and left. Outside, I heard Robbie calling out to me. He came rushing up a bit out of breath. There you are. Ruslana's looking for you. She wants to talk to you about something. All right, take me to her. She's over at the firing range. Hey, there's some of the Iron Ladies people here. Liaisons or whatever, you know, for the March East. Ruslana doesn't trust them, so she's got me and a few others watching them 24-7. Sounds smart. And it did, too. Ruslana was no fool. These liaisons were just as likely soaking up as much intelligence on Farmbridge as possible during their stay. Yeah, she's smart, always looking for spies. Anyway, they were talking about you a lot. You know what they call you? I shook my head. I wasn't surprised they'd be talking about me given how much time I'd spent alongside the Iron Lady over the last year and a half. The Scout. You know, because I guess you were a scout in the army or something. Anyway, that's a pretty cool nickname. I mean, you could do better for post-apocalypse nightmare, but still cool. I laughed with Robbie as he led me to Ruslana. He was right, I really could do better. Ruslana was overseeing a new class at the firing range. These weren't our soldiers, these were normal people staying behind. The Marines had a saying, every Marine a rifleman. Ruslana had her own saying, today, everyone's a rifleman. I waited until the class ended and the deafening roar of rifles ceased before joining Ruslana. Hey, thank you for coming. Sorry I made you wait. You have time to talk? I nodded. Good, come with me. We walked to one of the cleaning benches where Ruslana began disassembling her rifle to clean it. The rest of the class was on their own benches cleaning their own rifles as well. Ruslana ran a tight ship. We need to talk to you about Alexis. My ears immediately pricked up. She's talking, telling people about Indian Springs, about what I, what we did, the cooperation with the Iron Lady, the slaughter. I knew Alexis was upset about giving the Army of the Dawn critical intelligence and all the weapons and ammo they needed to take Indian Springs, resulting in the genocide or enslavement of the entire settlement. She's saying it was wrong what we did. Others are agreeing. We, well, we're not a democracy, not yet. One day I hope, but not yet. Still, I do not want to tell her to shut up. Freedom of speech and all that. But she's making things difficult, and things are about to be difficult enough, yes? I didn't say anything. One day, talk, debate, sure, these things are good, but maybe not today, not yet. I nodded. I promised I'd speak with Alexis. What I'd say, though, I had no clue. Ruslana was right to be worried. Alexis had been talking a lot, and a lot of people were agreeing with her, even people from other settlements. A wave of discontent was spreading across the brand new republic. People did not like the Faustian bargain we apparently struck with the Iron Lady. I have to admit, I was surprised. Maybe not all Wasteland survivors were diehard pragmatists. Maybe there really was hope for Alexis's dream of what the Republic could be. But this discontent could also spell disaster right when the newly born Republic was facing its first real test. It had taken a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifices to get here. Alexis and I lay in bed together, she the little spoon to my big spoon. Ruslana wanted me to talk to you. I immediately felt her body stiffen, then slowly relax again, very slowly. Oh, and what'd you have to say to me? I stayed quiet for a minute. I've been thinking about this all day, but I hadn't really decided what I was going to say. I know you're unhappy about what happened. I don't blame you. Ruslana wants to pretend her, our hands are clean, just because we didn't pull the trigger ourselves, but we facilitated it. We made it possible. You got to see it from her point of view. She's got a whole settlement, hell, an entire nation now to worry about. And those people weren't going to trade or share what they had. And without it, so we just kill whoever's in our way? Sorry, no, we let other people do the killing so we can say our hands are clean. All for the greater good, right? I was silent again. Longer than a minute this time. No, you're right. 
You should keep talking to people. Tell them the truth. Just, I don't know. This is a difficult time. Things just might get even more difficult. The Republic needs to be united. Alexis sighed. One of her deep, soul-weary sighs that made me hurt inside because I never wanted her to sigh like that again. But she did. They just kept coming. Okay, I'll tone down the rhetoric. She backed up an inch to press tighter against me. I rolled her over so she was facing me. I need you to know you're everything that's good in the world. You're all the best parts of me. All of them. Then I kissed her. A long, deep kiss. I don't want you coming east. Not this time. Alexis gave me a quick peck and then rolled back over so she was my little spoon again. I wasn't planning on it. Me and Lilith were staying behind. I never want to see something, something like that again. And I would do everything in my power to make sure she never did. Just promise me you'll come back home. She squeezed my hand as she settled her head into the nook below my chin and closed her eyes. I grunted in response. I don't make promises I couldn't keep anymore. Another week rolled by. Farmbridge's population grew exponentially as soldiers from each of the settlements arrived. Farmbridge was already the biggest of the settlements in SoCal, but its population grew by 50%, big enough that people were having to pitch tents outside protective walls. But nobody feared an attack. Right now, we had a greater concentration of firepower than any place in California, I was willing to bet. Clay showed up along with a group of people, and I was glad to see a familiar face. It's always nice to go to war with friends by your side. It was nicer when they brought friends along who were largely hardened combat veterans from America's wars in the Middle East. Clay's people were mostly former soldiers, marines, and sailors, with a few airmen sprinkled in. They were the Sparta to our Athens. They were the military superpower in the Republic, and we were the cultural and political power. I'd hoped we wouldn't go to war with each other anytime soon. So far, things looked optimistic. A welcome change of pace. He introduced me to his girlfriend who'd come along with a group of volunteers to set up a logistics center at Farmbridge, where the Republic could more easily funnel supplies to its expeditionary army. They were a cute couple, been together for a few years before the war. I wondered why they'd never gotten married, but I didn't push the issue. The days seemed to speed by, the entire settlement filled with the nervous energy of an army about to deploy, and the pending heartbreak of its loved ones eagerly awaiting its return. Some of them would get their wish, others would get nothing more than even more heartbreak. Lucky'd been extra clingy lately, though he was excited by all the new friends. That dog could sense every time I was about to leave though, and stuck to me like a shadow for the course of the week. For my part, I made sure to give him extra pets and hugs every chance I could. Robbie seemed torn. He wanted to join the army and march with us, but Ruslana had instituted a policy. No family would send their only son or daughter, and as Robbie only had his sister as surviving family, she decided that technically that counted. The time would come when everyone might have to give everything, but not yet. For now, Ruslana did not want any family to bear such complete, devastating burden. I agreed. It was sensible. At last, the day to march came. 1,058 combat-ready troops, well-trained, well-disciplined. Not quite a professional army yet, but on its way. Everyone wore old U.S. military fatigues as well, a move strongly endorsed by Clay's people who had supplied the uniforms. Uniforms meant uniformity, a shared identity. We were no longer a ragtag group of survivors banding together and huddling in makeshift tents. We were, what the president say? Ah yes, nation builders. The California Republic was marching to war. We all said our tearful goodbyes. Clara gave Watson a lock of her hair, which she immediately kissed and tucked away inside a pocket. Like a lady from the Middle Ages saying farewell to her knight, I hugged Alexis tight, breathing in the smell of her skin deeply so I could capture it and hold it as a memory forever. Next to us, Annie hugged a sobbing and wailing Lilith, who apparently was letting out all the emotion everyone else was keeping locked up inside. Finally, I hugged Robbie and Meg goodbye. Robbie wishing me good luck and turning on my heel, joined the army on the march. Once more, the family was split apart. 
Annie, Watson, and myself shouldering our rifles and walling up the aching pain in our hearts. I thought about Alexis, I thought about that little cul-de-sac at Big Bear, where we all could have our own house and live together. I tried not to think about the slowly burning fire in my brain growing stronger, louder with every step east. We had what was in effect a battalion of troops, split up into three oversized companies. Each company had one heavy weapons platoon, which typically consisted of two strikers and two dismounted squads, with either a 50 cal machine gun or two M240s. The composition wasn't exactly US Army standard, but we weren't exactly US Army. The strikers were old, stuff that had been left in stock as the modern army moved on to better vehicles, but they were a significant addition to our firepower, especially as one was of the mobile gun configuration. I doubted the Aztecos would be packing any sort of mobile firepower, but if they did, it would come in handy. We deployed scouts to flank our main column just in case, but the Aztecos had never showed a real aptitude for tactics. The fact we were moving like a professional military force, though, made me feel a whole lot better about what was to come. When we crossed into the Iron Lady's territory, she had an escort waiting for us. Watson and I immediately requested a meeting with Ruslana before stepping further into her lands. Ruslana had been busy dealing with various logistics and personnel issues. Morale was high, so interpersonal problems weren't really an issue. But anytime a military moves, it suffers from a host of various random problems and hang-ups. Soldiers get inadvertently injured or fall ill. It was a full-time job being in command, and I didn't envy her task. Finally, though, she had time to meet. We walked the perimeter of our camp, out of earshot of the sentries on duty there. The nights weren't quite as dark as they had been. The perpetual cloud cover had cleared somewhat, letting a little bit of moon and starlight through. Watson and I, we need to leave. Temporarily. We'll rejoin you guys in a few days. Ruslana cocked an eyebrow at me. What's this? Right when I need you to the most? Listen, darling. Watson interrupted her with his mountain drawl. Something ain't shaking right here. The Iron Lady's territory is three times the size of ours. She's been doing nothing but losing to the Aztecos this whole time. I ain't buying it. She pursed her lips, a familiar crease formed on her brow, like it did every time a new disaster reared its head, which seemed to be every other day since the world ended. You think this is a trap? I shook my head vigorously. No, not a chance. We're way too heavily armed. She's smarter than that. She knows taking this force out would cost her three, four times our number. She might have more men, but we're better trained and equipped, and she knows it. Watson spit on the ground. Not a trap, but she's planning on getting us used up in the fighting, getting weak. And when we're weak, we got a sneaking suspicion she's going to be sending a reserve force west across the border. Ruslana thought for a moment. What's your plan then? Watson and I know this territory well. We'll slink away, do some scouting. It's what I'm good at. Try and locate this reserve force. If nothing's there, all good. If not though, now Ruslana spit on the ground. We're screwed. You cut the head off a rabbit raccoon and the body'll die, sure as shit. Watson had steel in his eyes. There was an edge to him that hadn't been there before he got married. Ruslana thought long and hard. I had a feeling I knew most of the thoughts going on through her mind. An assassination, even if it was cutting the head off a poisonous snake, not an auspicious start to a new republic. I can't be involved in any way. Alexis had made things difficult back home. You two do what you need to do. I don't want to know any details. Just let me know if you find this reserve force out there. Ruslana left without a further word, leaving Watson and I to contemplate our next move in the dark. I told Annie I had to go, but I'd be back. She didn't question me, merely gave me a long look before nodding. Somehow, that was even worse. Watson and I easily slipped past the sentries and out to the night. We were dressed in civilian clothing, carrying regular rifles so as to look like a pair of regular survivors. Our knowledge of the Army of the Dawn let us easily get through any checkpoints or patrols that we encountered. 
To my surprise, I was recognized a few times. I guess that was the price to pay for having spent so much time as the Iron Lady's special guest. I didn't even want to know what wild rumors were floating around about her and I, but I could guess. We had to move fast. In four days, our forces would arrive at the front, and if I was missing, the Iron Lady would get suspicious. Luckily, I had a good idea of where to head. Havasu City was the capital of the Iron Lady's empire. Not only had it survived the war, but it was built right on the shores of Lake Havasu, and the Colorado River fed directly into it. No place had truly safe drinking water anymore, but with filters at least you wouldn't die as fast. On the south end of the lake, where the Colorado outflowed and went south to Mexico, were the pens. This was where most of the surrounding areas and all of the Iron Lady's military forces had livestock processed. The river carried the steady stream of blood, guts, and animal filth downstream and out of the local drinking channels. The pens was a sprawling compound at least a quarter mile big. I heard similar butcheries had been set up back in the Middle Ages for big population centers. Not all animals here were killed right away, only a select amount every day. Without refrigeration, fresh meat had a very short shelf life. And not all animals were actually animals. The Iron Lady had at least decreed that the human livestock be kept separate from the animals, not for humane reasons but to prevent the spread of animal-to-human disease. The entire miserable complex was like the exposed heart of the Army of the Dawn itself. I wished I could burn it all to the ground. It didn't take long to corner one of the slaves working at the butchery, the animal side of the butchery that is. Slaves were taught to be obedient to all free folk, and anyone was free to punish a slave that was out of line. It was shocking how quickly the world had turned modern average people into subservient slaves or outright monsters. The guy looked up at me with fear in his eyes as I ushered him into the corner of one of the work shacks, which could have been my bank teller three years ago. I'm not going to hurt you, unless you lie to me or waste my time, understand? I could feel the fuego warm in my brain. Just the tease of violence was enough to rouse it from its slumber. The slave eagerly nodded his head. I was confident he wouldn't lie. The penalty for lying was the loss of one of your limbs. And that meant you were no longer useful. And then it was off to the pens with you. Food shipments, not east. To the fighting, somewhere else, big ones. You see or hear anything? The slave looked confused. Sir, I, I, we process large shipments for local sediments outside Havasu all the time. I shook my head. No. This would be recent, in the last two months or so. The slave thought hard, which was made more difficult every time he looked up at Watson. Watson wasn't trying to be intimidating, he was just being Watson. But man, that face was hard as a mountain, and I'd only ever seen Alana or Clara crack a smile from that weathered granite. I, I mean, sir, yes, for the army, but I'm sorry, I don't know where it was going, just somewhere north. Watson and I exchanged a quick glance. Our suspicions had been confirmed. Wish I could say I was surprised, but nothing surprised me about the Iron Lady anymore. I was glad I was at least keeping up with her schemes, though. I was learning. Suddenly, one of the foremen walked into the shack. He was wielding a large club and looked angry. Hey now, you can't be harassing my workers, and you better not have been in here abusing it either. I need it in working condi- Hey, you're that scout fella, the one that got the medal and the lashes. Fire roared to life in my brain. Maybe it had been the tease with the slave. Maybe it was the deep hate of this place that had only grown since stepping inside this house of misery. Maybe I was just starting to lose it, like Vaccaro had warned before I blew his brains out. I lashed out with the right hook, catching the foreman completely by surprise. He staggered backward and I followed it with a knee straight to his gut, doubling him over. I spotted the large knife on a leather sheath on his belt. Moments later, I buried it in the man's spine. Next thing I knew, Watson was hurling me forward as we both ran out of the pens. When we were in the clear, we finally stopped to catch our breath. I had no idea what had happened. Did someone spot us? All I remember was the knife in the spine and then running. Did I kill that slave? Watson turned around and slapped me across the face hard. 
Hell's wrong with you, boy? You done lost your damn mind? I didn't even flinch from the slap. The fuego made you fast and strong, but it also dulled pain. I concentrated on the burning, willed it away, willed the flames to quench. When I was sure I wouldn't murder Watson, I finally talked. I told him everything, about the arena, the fuego, about murdering Vaccaro. Nobody knows, not even Annie. That's a tough break, kid. I liked you. Watson reshouldered his rifle and started walking away. I was stunned. Then I rushed to catch up. That's all you got to say? The hell you want me to say? You know your fate? Ain't no word gonna change that or matter one lick. At least you're trying to do something meaningful first. I respect that. We both walked in silence for a bit. Thanks, I guess. Watson mm-hmmed his approval. Just one thing. If the Lord sees fit to let us cross that border home again, I ever think you're a threat to the family, I kill you. Honestly, I wouldn't expect or want anything less, but I plan on being gone long before that. Watson mm-hmed one more time, then we moved, putting as much distance between us and the pens as possible. The good thing about living in a post-apocalyptic raider punk alternate reality is that murders are common enough. Nobody investigates much. It was illegal per the Iron Lady's rules, but unless you got caught in the act, nobody was really going to make a huge fuss about it. We left Havasu City and marched southeast. It wasn't hard to guess where the fighting was. A steady stream of supply convoys left Havasu for the front every day. An army marches on its stomach and is in constant need of resupply of everything from bullets to underwear. I'll say this about the Iron Lady. She'd made the road safe again in her territory. That was an incredible achievement, something the Republic struggled with to this day. This allowed us to make good time, and we didn't even have to set a watch at night as we camped. The night before we were due in camp, we managed to catch up, sharing the news with Ruslana. She'd invited all of her commanders into the briefing along with Annie. The group discussed plans amongst themselves. They couldn't just turn around and march back now. The army of the dawn would assume we were either reneging on our deal or trying to surprise attack Havasu. Either way, we were deep in enemy territory and surrounded, on all sides. But Ruslana told them about our plan. The assembled commanders agreed, but just in case they dispatch messengers back home at double speed to let them know to expect a possible surprise attack, the Republic could still muster a significant defense force, but the fighting would be brutal and costly, and there was no guarantee of a victory. It quickly became clear that everything rested on my ability to get close to the Iron Lady when she was vulnerable, no matter the cost. Don't worry, I'll keep your secret, again. Annie was tossing her boots off in our shared tent. Watson was out somewhere, leaving just us two. She finished taking her boots off and then bent down to open up my sleeping bag and slide in. She lay there with her back pressed to me. We did this often when we traveled together. It wasn't sexual or romantic. It had started out as a necessity during cold up in Big Bear, but we kept doing it. It was like sleeping next to a sibling, and it was comforting. It was the only times in the years I'd known her that Annie ever dropped her guard and talked about her life back home, or her dead brother. Honestly wish there was another way. I really want to do things Alexis's way, honestly. Yeah, I think I believe you. Annie didn't say another word all night, and it stung. There were wounded everywhere. The rearmost areas of any front is where casualties and equipment were sorted. If the Iron Lady had enough manpower to take this many casualties while holding off the Aztecos and hide an invasion force, she had a hell of a lot more of it at her disposal than I'd given her credit for. Tents full of cots stretched for a hundred meters in both directions as we made our way through the camp. Her command post had a row of trenches dug around it about 5 meters wide and 15 deep. It was basically a moat that you had to cross by wooden bridge. She'd learned a lot after her first assassination attempt by the Aztecos, one of two times I'd saved her life. You're ahead of schedule. Excellent. She met us coming out of her tent. Despite being at the front, she was dressed in her traditional uniform and, like always, looked immaculate, not even a hair out of place. She smiled as she saw me. I'd like to request that he act as liaison between our two forces. He knows your people and he knows my people. It's an easy fit. 
Ruslana nodded her approval. I hadn't even thought about the need for a liaison between the two groups. It made perfect sense. It was basic human resources 101. And just like that, I had all the access I would need. We discussed the front and where best to place our various assets. The Republic's forces would remain intact, Ruslana insisted. It was only natural. Neither side truly trusted the other, and Evan agreed. We would be responsible for shoring up the southern flank. Evan warned us that that's exactly where we'd get hit the hardest in the coming attack, but her people had been bleeding for months and needed a breather. Ruslana and I had expected as much. Naturally, she'd put us where the heaviest fighting would be to weaken us, but after seeing the scope of her casualties, maybe they really did need the relief. Ruslana agreed and set off with Annie to speak to her commanders. Annie gave me one of her typical brief looks as she left the tent. The Iron Lady sighed deeply once we were alone and sat on a chair in front of her map table. You know what's good for keeping an army of psychopaths and maniacs together? What? An even bigger army of even bigger psychopaths and maniacs at your border. Has the fighting been rough? They threw bodies at us for two months straight at our previous position. Had to fall back to here. This is our fifth retreat. They have that many numbers? 30 to 50,000 when this started. Despite myself, my jaw dropped slightly open. How is that possible? South of the border didn't get hit by many nukes. Polar jet stream got all messed up, flew most of the rads from here down south. Then you had disease and chaos, but all in all, they made out a lot better than us. How many do you think they got left? Eben seemed to do some quick calculations in her head. Another 20,000? Most of them all jacked up on the fuego, even bigger doses than you. I was stunned into silence again. How did you know? You mean nobody else been able to tell from that growing red rim around your eyes? Probably thought you were tired. Also, sweetheart, you should know by now. I have people everywhere. So then you know what's going to happen. I do. You're a tough one though physically, but mentally that's more important. It's a battle of will between you and the Fuego. Some people last a few weeks, others a few years. I got faith in you. She looked up and smiled at me. A genuine smile. That's why I'm going to ask you to defect and join me. You can bring your woman and your friends if you want. You'll have your own place. Safe. I reeled as if I had been physically shoved. What? Defect. Join me. Work with me. Use that little gift of yours to make the world a better place while you can. You know they won't accept you back east, not when it becomes obvious. Eben stopped for a moment, thinking. No, you were planning on doing something incredibly reckless before then, something stupid. Don't. Work with me instead. Why did she make so much damn sense sometimes? The sound of the distant horde was faint. A mass of drug-fueled maniacs that would soon make the earth tremble from its numbers alone. The sound of the drums and various other instruments they used for their various black magic rituals drifted to us in the wind. It was primal, shamanic magic from an ancient Aztec history and the depths of the jungles both. Combined with the powerful fuego and other psychedelic drugs, it filled the horde with courage, strength, and an insatiable hunger for ultraviolence. I felt my own fuego rise up in my brain almost as if in response to the distant rituals, and then the instruments died and instead there was the roaring of thousands of maniacs. Now they come. The Iron Lady surveilled the distant plane through night vision. In her command trench was myself, the Iron Lady, a few assistants, and her personal guards. Ruslana and her own people, including Watson and Annie as guards, shared the opposite side of the trench. We were located just off the center, south, and closer to the Republic forces, on a slight hill that gave us excellent view of the battlefield and our lines of defense both. Ruslana turned to one of the men with her. An older man I suspected was one of Clay's people. He had the look of a seasoned professional soldier. The man nodded to her, then reached for a battery-powered radio. Despite the screaming of thousands of psychopaths about to flood our position, he spoke in a calm, almost bored tone. Alright boys, let's give him some of that boom boom. Order relayed. He looked up at the battlefield, finally showing some excitement. This is my favorite part. 
At first there was nothing. Then, just as the horde was beginning to materialize in the darkness, several voices shouted from somewhere behind us, Hang it! A moment later, FIRE! Several sharp cracks 